the Empire Podcast this week, prepare to bow or curtsy as we are in the presence of nobility in the form of Downton Abbey's Hugh Bonifil, Michelle Dockery and Laura Carmichael. <gasps> I know. And the film really is for the fans. I mean, yeah. I mean, anyone could see it and follow it, but it's. I think the fans will be so happy with it. All that unusual news and nonsense on the movie podcast had just downloaded the Jeremy Renner app and can't wait to get started, you guys. Let me just... <laughs> Let me just open it here. Very exciting stuff. What? Closed! Renner! Unbelievable. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, this week, I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. One, kind of full-time. You're here all the time. Helena yeah, sorry. Howard. You are a geek queen. Hello. You are a fixture. Yes. And part of the fixtures and fittings of this pod booth. How Wait, are you? That sounds horrifying. Like they're going to plaster me to a wall. There are actually workmen next door at the moment, there and it's workmen. all too plausible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing. No. It could be a whole Dexter situation. <laughs> you Dexter. Never know. You know, like, you know, where they're covering up murders by pretending to build uh, what I presume is a second studio. Okay. Presumably because they want to cover up, up murders. The number a... of podcasts we produce. We personally produce. We, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And we are also joined uh, by a newcomer to the podcast. Very, very excited about this. He is a writer, he is a director, he is a music encyclopedia. He is one of the best-dressed people I've ever met. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, he's a host of one of my favourite podcasts, and not just because I've appeared in it twice. <laughs> my favourite album. It is, of course, Jeremy Dillon. How are you, sir? G'day, Chris. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for oh, having yeah, me. I forgot to mention Jeremy's Australian. Oh, no. We should have warned people. We should have warned people because you know what this means. It means at some point I may do a terrible Australian accent. Oh, no, accent. don't. I'd like to apologise to Jeremy and the people of Australia before I uh, before I do that. I'd be curious to hear how bad or how not quite as bad as you're making it out to be your Australian accent is. Because generally they're fucking atrocious when people try and do them and they sound either sort of Turkish or South African or Cockney sometimes, although I guess that probably wouldn't be the case with yours because you could mm. tell the difference. With putting Cockney and South African? I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would I mean, imagine I don't so. Know. You're presuming I mean, an awful yeah. lot. I don't know. See, this is the thing. It's like, how bad do you want it to be? That's the thing, right? You see, you were I mean, I can really him. go for it and make it a really bad one. I've heard worse. See, that's oh. the, Where have you heard worse? Where? Show me these people. Bring them to me. <laughs> see, I live in Nashville these days, and the reason I introduce myself with the word g'day is because when I... <laughs> The conversation I have with people, no, no, don't tell me you're Scottish, English, South African, Canadian. I got Canadian once somehow. I've had Canadian. <laughs> bizarre. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but that kind of sounded Kiwi, so which is like actually oh, much Kiwi, closer yeah. to I mean, Australian than Australians like yeah. to admit. So. Yeah, it's all right, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. Um, Sam Toy, uh, of this parish, the guy who shot all our video bloggy episodes in Cannes and Comic-Con and whatnot. Uh, he's from, where does he live now? He lives in Brisbane? Brisbane or Auckland? No, he lives in Auckland now. Uh, but he came and stayed with me last year for, for a week and, and bless him, poor guy had to go through hell because just being around him I started doing an Australian accent all the time, oh. but and you know, but, you know, but, but a better one than I'm doing that. That was a bad one, but still, okay. it was, mm-hmm. you know, because you, you you try, don't you? You're trying to make people feel at home by making them feel that they're still at home. That's that's kind of what I felt that I was doing there. But Jeremy's looking at me askance. Yeah, there's there's some skeptical <laughs> looks happening right now in the booth. Yeah, but Jeremy, uh, that's to introduce you properly. And I said earlier on, you are. One of the best dressed people I know. In fact, I'm going to upgrade you. You may be the best dressed person I know. You are wearing right now what can only be described as a suit. 
<laughs> that is accurate. I always, as I said just before we started recording, I always like to dress up for audio only appearances on things. <laughs> just try and, you know, keep the standards going. But the great thing about this is that you could just be lying. I could be wearing like, you know, tracky dacks in a t-shirt with a bunch of holes in it and no one at home would be the wiser. This is true. But uh, Helen, yes. can you describe what Jeremy's wearing? It's a suit. No, it it's a, a it's a black shirt and black suit with like a fabulous sort of thing kind of Dutch still life, right? It, from the 17th century, sort of amazing flowers and 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 ears of wheat and stuff on yeah. the suit. It's gorgeous. Yes, when I, I went into the Paul Smith shop and I said, I want something that looks like a Dutch still life from the 17th century. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, it might be 18th. And also you can you can look up Jeremy. Jeremy has a, a website and he's on Twitter and stuff. And uh, on your website, you said you have uh, hair models, sort of people that you model your hair on. And one of whom is the good Dr. Kermode. Yes, I, I kind of owe my career... I won't tell this story because it's incredibly long and involved, but basically my first film TLDR. was uh, based on a throwaway gag that Kermo did during his review of Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief <laughs> nine years ago. So I made that film and Stephen Fry narrated it partly because he was a fan of Kermode's show. So I kind of owe my career to Mark and my haircut to Mark, Mark Ronson and Nick Lowe. <laughs> That's only three. Who's a fourth? Oh, Morrissey. Oh, Morrissey. But I just okay. tend to sort of like yeah, shuffle that away. We not get talk about Morrissey these days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's, uh, well, what brings you to England? What are you here for? Uh, I mean, a number of things. I mean, partly I'm sort of advancing a documentary that I have been directing over the past few years called Tommy Emmanuel, The Endless Road is playing the Liverpool Film Festival cool. next month. So Sweet. I'm sort of here in advance of that. Um, you know, I've got a, there's an artist that I work with who's playing a gig tonight taping a couple of podcasts and partly it's just there's a direct flight from Nashville to London now so it's a much easier thing to hop over and you know I saw Hamilton oh my god the other day so good um yeah you know it was like interesting oh wait oh sounds like there might be some uh, dissent here no no I liked it (laughs) I, I liked it I, I my reservations are minor, and they're the same reservations that I have with almost all stage musicals which is that they're about 25 minutes too long mm and okay. they should all be one act. And <laughs> there's a few songs in there that I wonder if might have just been in there because they wanted to cast someone good in that part so that character needed to have a good big song in the show. You know, not reading anything into it. Huh. I, I don't feel like, well, okay, I'm not going to get into a Hamilton discussion, but I don't feel like there's that much of okay. that in that one. Because like, they didn't have big names in the first show. It wasn't like, you know, let's get Streisand in to do a... You know, Ooh, who Eliza. would Streisand play? I have no idea. Peggy. Actually, do you know what? She'd be an amazing <laughs> burr. Well, the burr, I thought the burr was my the strongest in the cast, actually. Mm. I can't remember the actor's name, um, but in the West End production, the burr was amazing. When did you see it? On a Monday or... A, or it's a good question. Maybe a Tuesday? Because apparently Monday is the understudies day. Oh, oh okay. I, I last saw it on a Monday. And the burr, I've seen it three times now, and the burr... I mean, I haven't seen it with the original cast, Helen, yes. But I didn't even the mention Burr it. was the best burr I've seen. How many burrs have you seen, Chris? I've seen three burrs. Wow. Every burr has been a different burr. <laughs> yeah. Was was one a mama burr, a papa burr, <laughs> and a baby burr? How did it work? Yep, that's right. The yeah, burr, he, was, he was just right, this one, actually. <laughs> this burr reminded me a bit of Mike Coulter. Um, I'm not sure if that's a useful reference point. I think, you know, I think that's the main burr. Okay. I think that's the main burr that they have in the show at the moment. The thing I wondered about, the Streisand thing, not (laughs) specifically, but like, you know, one of the the big assets of the show is that there's like colorblind casting. Mm -hmm. And obviously, like most of these people were like 
white because it was like people in government a few hundred years ago. Yeah. But I wonder like, when they're going to get to gender-blind casting. Because I do too. There, there was, I think they miss. Uh, worded the ad for the for the casting in London at one point, and it sounded like they were open to women playing Hamilton, and people went nuts for we it. And then they it. and then they kind of <laughs> went, "Oh no, wait, sorry, we didn't quite mean that. Sorry." But they did say they were open to it in future. Okay, so great. maybe I'd I'm, see I'm, it again. Yep. No, I am I'm, seeing I'm, it again. When later this month. Okay. What, may your may your burr be a good burr. Thank you. What number time seeing it will that be? Well, this is only the third, so I'm just catching up with Chris. But of course, I get bonus points because I saw it on Broadway with the original <laughs> cast. So, have you seen Avengers Endgame or Hamilton more at this point? Avengers Endgame three okay. times as many times. Wow! How many times have you seen? I've Endgame? seen nine times. Nine times. Nine. Nine times. Five. Unbelievable. It came out uh, digitally the other week and I was in my little office at home working quite late at night and um, I, I walked into the living room. This is about midnight and my wife looked guilty. <laughs> um, and she had the, the TV pause. And I went, why do you look guilty? And I looked up and it was she downloaded Endgame and was watching it without me. Without you. Without me. Wow. Isn't that actually in the vows you took when you got married? I, I think feel it, like was. it was. I, I had the presence of mind and the foresight to incorporate it in the vows. Uh, you must not watch Avengers Endgame. I was weirdly specific about the title as well, even though well. we got married in yeah. 2011. Uh, and otherwise, yep, that's grounds for a divorce, but uh, it's fine. It's all good. All right, now it is time to get into some questions. And I asked this morning, not in as much of a panic as I usually do, when I usually re- realize like, three minutes before we start the podcast mm-hmm. and I haven't got a question. Uh, so I asked people, I said, ladies and germs, your questions, please, for this week's Empire podcast. Well, you know what you went wrong. Well, germs are not very good at, answering, at asking questions. Well, clearly, because some of these questions are sickening. Uh, let me see. Let's go through them. I'll read, out, I'll read out a few. Let's answer them as many as we possibly can. Andrew Butler, 99, on Twitter says, Why do two films come out at the same time on the same subject, Deep Impact, Armageddon, and which are the best slash worst? Mm. Mm. It's a very good question. So like Robin Hood, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. What else? There's some, some other stuff recently. Ants and Bugs Life. Ants and Bugs Life, yeah. Avengers what? Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, all that sort of stuff. White House Down, Olympus Has Fallen. Yes. Oh, the oh. best, the best example. The, the best. most, Perhaps the most recent example as well. And for me as well, Thinking about those two movies, yeah, a lot of people liked uh, White House Down, but for me, the one, the the really good one, won ultimately. Aww. Olympus is down, has fallen down. Olymp- that one, the one with Jerry Butler. <laughs> if you have two competing films, the one with Jerry Butler should always win. That is a that is a hell of a claim to make. <laughs> just, My goodness, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. Wow. Like Armageddon beat the Deep, Deep Impact, but if Jerry Butler had played the asteroid then Deep Impact would have won. And we'd be talking about Deep Impact 8 by now. Deep, I mean, so it's like a meteor shower headed to Earth. Like, more, like, like more asteroids. More and Jerry's them. like, oh no, not more asteroids. But then don't you get into something a bit geostormy and doesn't it all go horribly And wrong? how would that be a bad thing? <laughs> um, <laughs> exhibit A, Your Honour, geostorm. Name any Jerry Butler film and you've named the best film of the last 20 years. <laughs> okay. But why do two films come out at the same time on the same subject. Maybe this is one of those situations, you know how people are like, it was really spooky. I was just thinking about Fred and then the phone call rang mm. and it was Fred. <laughs> but all the times you were thinking about Fred and the phone rang and it was someone else. Yeah. It's amazing that this doesn't happen more often in a lot of ways. Like mm-hmm. that something's in the news, something's in the zeitgeist mm-hmm. and then 
people are out there looking for ideas to write screenplays about and it's just occasionally two screenplays make it through development in in a reasonably similar time period. What was the yeah. Snow White, um, the, the Huntsman? Yeah, and, uh, and the... Mirror, Mirror. Mirror, Mirror, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think sometimes it's state of the art with... Um, with Ants and a Bug's Life, it was to some extent state of the art because they could do hard, shiny surfaces and insects and toys and things were, were about what they could manage at that point with, with CG. Um, it's also a little bit, there's something, people hear somebody else is doing something and kind of jump mm-hmm. on board. I mean, the, the Pixar books have talked about that being kind of the end of a certain degree of openness in their community. You know, everybody just used to say, yeah, we're making a film about insects and then when they find out somebody else was trying to beat them to the insect punch, does that that sounds gross <laughs> and horrible? Then they had to start kind of you know being quiet about things. And I think so. I think there's an element of that. You know, Paramount has a volcano movie in development. We'd better get one too. Um, but it can also be state of the art. So when you get to the point where your CG can handle lava, then everybody wants to make a lava film. <laughs> and who wouldn't? Dante's Peak and Volcano. Yeah, again, another good example. <laughs> two terrible films. Terrible, but so, kind of watchable. Okay, let's think of those films we talked about, okay? So Armageddon and Diva Impact, mm-hmm. which is the best? Mm. See, one of, those is the, one of those is in the Criterion Collection, so... Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. There are two Michael Bay films in the Criterion Collection. I feel like I've just lost a lot of Wait, what's, respect is, is, for is The Rock the other one? The Rock is the other one. The well, Rock is correct. perfectly respectable. Yeah. yeah. You know, that should be in the Criterion Collection. Yeah. It, is a, it is an all-time classic action movie, but Armageddon's presence in the Criterion Collection continues. Armageddon. I mean, as much as I love that film and with an ironic hat on, um, you know, I just want to shake the hand of the daughter, the daughter of the bravest man, man I ever met. met. <laughs> and all that stuff. It's not a great film, guys. I don't know why it's in the Criterion Collection. Armageddon definitely has the better commentary track on the yes. DVD. Than <laughs> the DVD Ben Affleck. Impact. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Throwing shade at uh, Michael Bay. Uh, that's fun. It's, a, it's probably a better film, isn't it? Okay. So then we have Robin Hood, uh-huh. the Patrick Bergen one. I mean, we all Flynn. know the answer to this question. Come on. <laughs> Versus Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Prince of Thieves, like every day of the week and twice on Sundays. It's such a good film. Okay. And I have seen the Patrick Bergen one, but I've, I saw it back have in the 90s when it came out and I have never been tempted to go back. Interesting. Not once. Interesting. I it was fine. I when it came out. Yeah. Okay. Jeremy? Does Robin Hood Men in Tights get a look in on this? <laughs> no, that is a heck of a film. That one. That one would give me more pause for thought because that's great. It would. But sadly, that was response to those films mm. and it didn't come out at the same time. So I'm going to disqualify. But otherwise, yeah, we're talking. It's the best. Yeah, the three. There's, yeah. there's, there's no question. I mean, about he it. can speak in an English accent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone remember any other bit from that film? <laughs> because yes, I, I remember I there was a character called Achu and there's the song, We're men, we're men in tights. We roam around the forest looking for fights. And oh, Patrick and the, Stewart shows up oh, as the king. Yes. He does. He does. And the love song as well is brilliant. Oh, and um, uh, Roger Reese as the sheriff in Nottingham. Oh, yes. You know that bit where he slaps someone with a, with a glove and they pick up this massive gauntlet and they smack him with it? Uh, that made me laugh as well. Uh, okay, so then we have uh, Snow White and the Huntsman versus Mirror Mirror. It's a big choice, this one. Mirror Mirror for the costumes. It's also bonkers and it gets it some points bonkers. for that. Yeah. It is bonkers. Didn't lead to a sequel though. No, mm. I, I should. I was on set of both Huntsman films, so I should really, really? go for that. Uh, yeah. Are you to blame? I don't feel like I'm to blame. I think you're to blame. Jeremy. Um, I'm with Helen on this one, I think. Okay, mirror, mirror. Costumes. What else have we talked about? Which other ones? Okay, then the big one is, and I've already given the answer to this, uh, but I want to hear your answers and then tell you that you're wrong. 
White House down versus Olympus has fallen down. Okay, so the line, let's play a game of fuck off, you go first, like that has a lot of sway with me, obviously. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, but I did watch White House Down recently and I did really, really ridiculously enjoy it. It's a good film. So I'm, I'm going to go with White House Down. It's a good film. I think White House Down is more fun. Mm. Mm-hmm. And also I have a real thing about, I have a real bias against Gerard Butler movies where he's not allowed to use his real accent. I mean... He tries. Can he the ju- accent is irrepressible. Couldn't he just be like a Scottish-born secret service agent? Precisely. That's one of the things I love about the most recent, you know, before Big Liam put his foot in his mouth, the most recent spate of Big Liam movies, you know, because they, they kind of let him keep his accent or they work something in that shows you that he has a, an Irish background. Mm. So, for example, in Nonstop, we see that he has a he has a passport and it says "Born Belfast." So you go, "Oh, that's why." Because why has he got a Ballymena accent? Yeah, though? Well, yeah. that's true. Well, maybe he moved to Belfast yeah, when he was true. very young. Um, and then there's also uh, what was the other one? The Commuter, uh-huh. where he talks about how I'm growing up, growing up and back in Belfast again. But always Belfast, yeah, always, always Belfast. Belfast. But you know, that's, people know Belfast, don't they? Uh, so. That works for me because I love Big Liam, but I have to say, with the best will in the world, accents are not necessarily his forte. <laughs> Schindler's List, good accent, fine. But most of the time, stick to Northern Irish, Big Liam. And same with, uh, with Jerry B. You have to stick mm. to Scottish. I mean, it works for Sean Connery. Did he teach us nothing? <laughs> so Sean Connery and Schwarzenegger are kind of like <laughs> the ur examples of like, why bother? Yeah. Yeah. And they're cool. Like, a big part of their appeal is the accent. So why would you try and take that away from them? Mm. Yeah, precisely. Like Schwarzenegger, for example, you, you don't think he could lose his accent, even if he tried. Yeah. I mean, that's just there. It's ingrained. It's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be uh, going away anytime soon. But Connery, Connery, you do feel just couldn't give a shit. I mean, he was it's a just, Russian submarine yeah. captain. We sail into history. Which part of Russia are you from, sir? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he's doing a thing like um, in Alexander, right, where he's trying to represent that he's from a different part of Russia uh-huh. by means of a Scottish accent. Just imagine, like, everyone turning up in that film, like Sam Neill slaving away for weeks trying to get his Russian accent right. You know, I would have liked to have seen Montana. All that sort of thing. He's really going, I'm really going to get it right. Turns up on set one day and he starts doing his Russian accent. It's amazing. Then Sean has a line. He goes, we shall into history. And he's like, excuse me, stop a second. What the fuck is this? Honestly. <laughs> what if Sean thinks it's a good Russian accent? Goes, what are you talking about? That's Flatty Flosh Doc. <laughs> Wasn't he like a ring in on that film, didn't they? Like someone drop out and they had to bring... Big Sean. Yeah. Everyone's Big Sean these days. I think I'm remembering this correctly. They had someone cast who may have actually been Russian and then oh. they dropped out. Connery came in sort of last minute and I guess at that point he had, was in a good bargaining position to go like, listen, this is the way I talk. <laughs> Struck it the fuck up or I'm not doing the film. <laughs> I want as many shibbling sounds as possible. Shabbering? Sheeman? <laughs> no. No, Chris. What? What's long, hard, and full of sheeman? The Red October. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Have we answered that question? I think we have. God, let's hope so. Should we have one more? Sure. Just, let's have one more. Might as well. Uh, this comes from at Mr. E. Strange, who says, they're remaking your favourite film. Ah, no! No. Hypothetically, of course. Oh. Obviously, you're against it. Obviously. But, but you have control over the director and the cast. Who are you going for? Jeremy, let's start with you. What is your favourite film? I find this a difficult question to answer. It's either 
A Hard Day's Night, <laughs> or Back to the Future. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, two films that are completely impossible to recast. Good yeah. luck with that. I'd say Back to the Future is probably easier. Uh, no, I want to. I want to. I want remake Hard Day's Night. Go on, recast <laughs> the Beatles. Well, let me start. I'll I'll do Back to the Future <laughs> first because I had a. I just thought of something for that. Okay. I remember when when Breaking Bad was on the air. Mm. I thought that. I'm not sure what context it would have been in, like an SNL sketch or something, but that Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul should play Doc and Marty as a double <laughs> act because I thought that was just a perfect dynamic to sort of Whoa. like take across to okay. those characters. I have no idea who would direct it. I know it's probably John Favreau if that movie gets made now. Would they still have the same dynamic? Would Doc Brown now be cooking meth? Is, is Marty I mean, Doc Brown him? was already cooking meth. He, really, well, he was selling like <laughs> nuclear material to terrorists, so it's not that much worse, is it? Like everyone gives Doc Brown a pass, don't they? They just go, oh, yeah, sure, he's in league with you know Libyan terrorists. It's totally fine. He's a lovable guy. Look at that hair. Um, yeah, but, but did he fake the right uranium, though? No, he, he bought he, uranium from he, them. Yeah, he bought... Okay. He bought real plutonium right. and then he was going to fake it out. That's why they were angry at him because gotcha. he yeah. sold them fake. He'd given them fake plutonium. Gotcha. Yes. The real plutonium for himself. So really, he'd been helping foil terrorists. All Chris. in the name of science. You know. Yeah, maybe he's cooking fake meth in the new version. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like rock candy or something wow. and then selling it on. So this is Breaking Bad to the Future. Exactly. That's what you're doing. I think for A Hard Day's Night, I would probably just take the actors that played the Beatles and walk hard and just like shift them <laughs> over. Complete with those accents, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah, oh. yeah. Dewey Cox. <laughs> so it's Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is John Lennon. Yeah. No? Jack, uh, no Paul, yeah, uh, Justin Long is George Harrison because yeah. he's pretty much dead on. It's really, really good impression. Uh, Jack Black is... Paul McCartney? Yes, <laughs> which makes no sense. Jason Schwartzman is Ringo. Is Ringo. And Paul Rudd. Is John Lennon. <laughs> and he t- wasn't it him who turned up on set and goes, God, guys, have you been working on the accent? And Jack Black just went, the what? <laughs> <laughs> Again, Justin Long must have spent ages on as George Harrison turns up and everyone's just doing what they have, whatever the hell they do. That's a really funny scene. Uh, it's on YouTube if you want to check it mm. out. That's a good call. Would you go Would you go down the Bobby Zemeckis route? I mean, everyone's got nicknames today. Would you go down the Bobby Zemeckis route? And because um, really, his Yellow Submarine, oh man, I really, really regret the fact that he didn't get to make it. Probably he regrets it more, but so he was going to do mocap Yellow Submarine and you know, the, the plug mm. got pulled on it. And he had cast... Peter Serafinowicz as Paul. He had cast mm. Carrie Elwes as On board. George. Oh. And then two other actors who I can't remember, but it was a pretty decent cast. But if anyone's ever seen Serafinowicz do McCartney, he does a great Ringo as well, but he does a really, really great McCartney. Oh. So it would have been fascinating to see he should have got, he could have done with that. You should have got the voice cast of Animaniacs. Remember Animaniacs? I do remember Animaniacs. So Wacko uh-huh. had a very strong kind of Ringo thing going on. So he could have just gotten him. I forget who voiced him. I apologise to Wacko, but Wacko is incensed right now. I mean, I feel I fancy my chances. I think I'll he be is all right. Incensed. All right. Okay. Who's directing Hard Day's Night? Oh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> is it wrong? You've just described two movies. I'm desperate to see now. <laughs> I know. I think it's. I think it's. If that's wrong, I don't want to be right, and I'm often not. So. <laughs> That's one of those things, like, people's knee-jerk reactions. Even the question catches, the, catches it in such a way that we're appalled by the idea of remakes and people shouldn't go near these mm. these crown jewels. And yet you just described a Back to the Future remake directed by <laughs> John Favreau, I think you said? 
I, I mean, I think he'd end up with the gig if you, you made have, it. This, you have this. control over the director, so who, who's your Back to the Future? It's probably the Russo brothers, to be honest. Oh, okay. Hard yeah, to beat. I'm on board. So the Russo yeah. brothers directing Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, but potentially also playing their characters from Breaking Bad as well. I'm on board for that. And then Paul Thomas Anderson directing Hard Day's Night, but with four middle-aged men, <laughs> none of whom are British, as the Beatles. Bang on for that. Boom. Yeah, yes. I'm here. We'll all watch. day. Would watch. It's, yeah. I mean, all day long. Spoiler specials, the whole thing. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, was it like Raymond Chandler where someone asked him, like, what do you think about Hollywood ruining all your books? And then he just pointed to his shelf and said, well, my books are all over there. They're fine. <laughs> yes. It's like the original movies aren't going anywhere. Precisely. Mm. Yeah. But what a great double bill. Anyway, Helen, what's your favorite film? Um, I, I, you know, it changes from day to day, as you know. <laughs> Princess Bride is up there. I, w- I was actually thinking of His Girl Friday right now. Really? Yeah, in relation Ooh. to this question, which is Good another one shout. of my top ones. Yep. So you need people who can talk really fast and be very, very clever. So I, I don't know, maybe Anna Kendrick for the Rosalind Russell role? Hilda Johnson? I feel you've said this we, before. Have we done this before? Robert Danny Jr.? He's this, too old for Anna Kendrick, though, so we'd have to recast We've had this conversation. We have had this because he this came up. Before. He That's did come right. Because I suggested Downey Jr. And I rejected. And you were like, he's outrageous. Damn it. Well, maybe we should do The Princess Bride then. Okay, let's do The Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Okay, so we need the most beautiful woman in the world to play Buttercup. The Peter no pressure. Cool. Okay, and then we need a very handsome man who's also quite weird a little bit in a strange way. but Chris Hewitt. <laughs> I'm sorry, who? Evans, correct. What? No, the best of the Hollywood Chris's. <laughs> I'm up for it. I'll do it. I can speak with an English accent or Australian, as Jeremy knows. Do you know what? Tom Hiddleston <laughs> would be pretty good All right. as Wesley. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, I'm um, not seeing it myself. But really? Okay. You're not seeing that? No, I don't think so. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and then for then the problem is Under the Giant, you can't recast Under the Giant. Like, there's only one. You need an actual giant for that role. Maybe The true. Rock. Yeah. Could like wear a there must be muscle suit or something there must be men of a similar girth a perhaps similar there are we should, we should look into that Shaquille O'Neal okay alright I don't know for uh, Inigo hmm. Oscar Isaac oh hello yes sold boom done Jeremy, Jeremy's correct good at this. he's very good at this you can come back <laughs> if and you then we've got to think about the duel of wits okay yeah so who plays Vizzini um, we need someone who can go toe-to-toe with Tom Hiddleston, almost, why and not? then die laughing. Fazzini's the Wallace Shawn character, right? Mm-hmm. So not just, just Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn. I mean, he hasn't basically changed. He so. hasn't. <laughs> if anything, he's de-aged. Boom, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, he could right. do it. He's the J.K. Simmons of this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of directors, though, I mean, it's hard. I mean, we talked recently about Rob Reiner's amazing 80s run, because uh, I think he was... That has yet to be heard. Oh, spoiler! Sorry, but I think it should be somebody who's on similar killer form at the moment, but somebody who's good at comedy and also emotion. Lulu Wang, I just saw um, the farewell. Oh yeah, yeah. And I yep. thought she did a fantastic job on that. So let's give her a go. Okay. Boom. Sound choices indeed. My favorite film. Mm-hmm. Listeners to the podcast may not be surprised to know is Evil Dead Two. What? The greatest movie ever made. That's objective. It's in the book. Look it up. Starring Bruce Campbell. Directed by Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. And my remake <laughs> would star Bruce Campbell and be directed by Sam Raimi. I knew you were going to say that. Because as much as I we've discussed this, uh, you, don't, you don't fuck with perfection, guys. No, you don't. I'm not sure Bruce could do the full body flip at his age. 
but you know, with wires and pulleys and levers and all sorts. CG, it's CG, fine. yeah. I'm sure we could we could make it work. Possessed hand, the whole the whole works. Sorry. Do you think Possessed Hand would come back for this remake? Possessed Hand would need a bigger trailer, obviously. Mm, but uh, right. I think Possessed Hand could be persuaded. Possessed Hand hasn't done a lot recently since Evil Dead 2. And, uh, and the Adams Family, obviously. Uh, well, that was a different hand. Oh, no, you're kidding. Yeah, it's a different hand. Oh, Possessed Hand wow. was up for the role, but uh, sadly didn't get it. Gosh. Yeah, too prone to attacking people and trying to claw their faces off. So, mm. yeah, they went with a different hand. I mean, professionalism pays, guys. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. That is what I would do. I would recast the exact same movie and just make the same movie again. And you know what I would do? I, really, honestly, I would get the money for the movie, tell people we made it, then just show them the first Evil Dead 2 and then live out the rest of my days in a non-extradition country. <laughs> 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 off, off, earning, well, Evil on Dead. the beach, earning it's, 20%. Earning 20% of, of Evil Dead 2 money, which I'm sure is not enough to retire on. It's really not. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's what I would do. Right. So if you want to have your question read out in the Abra podcast, you know, all those questions were pretty good. Yeah, you see? I was I was slightly down on the questions, but I think they they worked out all right. And if you want to have your question read out in the Abra podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, as those people did, uh, you can get in touch with us via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see the question. We're on Facebook as well. No one ever bothers with that. Facebook, Empire Magazine. And uh, there's email as well, podcast at empireonline.com. How exciting. Right. Time to delve deep into this week's movie news. What has been happening? Hells Bells, I'll start with you. That's a good question. What has been happening? Um, there has been news this week, I feel like. With feels the first like, trailer... Like you're not 100% prepared for this Look, podcast? I actually looked this stuff up this morning, but I've forgotten it already. Um, there was a trailer that came out for Bad Boys for Life, which is uh, yes. definitely now happening. I it's, didn't kind of believe it until I saw it. There's no question about it. It's a film that's going to be coming out. And yeah. we'll reunite Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. And I'm not a big fan of the Bad Boys movies, but uh, looking at this, it's kind of a really blast of those wonderful late 80s, 90s, Bruckheimer visuals, loads of primary colours, loads mm. of over-the-top uh, action. Low angles, looking up at Low, people, yeah. looking godlike. Yeah, but also, you know, a story about guys getting older and, and mm. dealing with that as well. Not much like, in fact, Angel Has Fallen. Which, uh-huh. as we've discussed, is one of the best films of the last three years. Again, I'm not sure this is really justifiable. Hey, um, Ben Wheatley is going to be directing Tomb Raider 2. Ah, uh, so you buried the lead. <laughs> you started with Bad Boys for Life. I know. Yes, Ben Wheatley is going to be directing the Tomb Raider sequel. Is this going to be, I feel like this is the Taika Waititi equivalent of this franchise. Something that yeah. was like getting slightly moribund, or maybe in this case slightly more than slightly moribund, and then... You just inject life into it by a sort of unconventional directorial choice. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it'll be really interesting to see what he does with a studio film, actually. Yeah. studio film. Yeah. Um, I just have no idea what that's going to look like. None whatsoever. I'm, I'm really intrigued. I yeah, d- I don't, I don't, I don't know what he does. I genuinely. When, when I saw when I saw the news this week, I, I immediately went, "What the hell?" Because I imagine since uh, Ben Wheatley broke onto the scene, really with. Not so much down terrace, but certainly with kill list. That's mm. the first time that people really went, "Oh, hang on, there's there's something really, really promising here." Uh, since then, he's made eighty seven movies, but I imagine he's had loads of overtures from Hollywood in that time. You know, to mm. come over and do something huge. So choosing a Tomb Raider movie is really interesting. Now, it's not as left field as you might think. I think he's a bit of a gamer. 
Mm-hmm. So I think he might enjoy that aspect of, of this movie. The movie is also being written by Amy Jump, who, of course, is his wife and his creative partner, yeah. uh, writes and co-writes a lot of his movies, edits a lot of his movies as well. So it kind of makes sense mm. that maybe he was going, hey, you know, oh, uh, Amy's written a really, really, really yeah. great script here. I think I can why make not? this work. Yeah. And they've gone, why not? Because this is a movie that I don't think anyone thought would even be happening. Yeah, because it didn't do that well last time. But having said that, there are some elements in the last one that sort of do feel Wheatley-esque. Mm-hmm. So um, the fact that she was living, when we meet her in the last one, she's living in literally, not even a strict flat share, it's almost more like a commune in East London with a bunch of other young people. She's working as a, cur- a bike courier. Um, you know, she's hanging out in Brick Lane. You know, it's not sort of glam, glam Lara Croft that we've maybe seen in the past. And of course, Alicia Vikander herself is a much more kind of grounded take on the characters. So all of that sort of fits. I think the only thing in the last film that wouldn't fit is the sort of the weaker CG-ified action stuff, which was kind of disappointing because when they kept that film grounded it was actually really fun it was only when it went off to sort of you know jumping off weird looking shit that it it kind of went a bit off the rails for me so room for improvement lots of potential and the idea of Ben Wheatley doing a big big temple also it's meant to be out It's, it's been given a date so it's out in 2021 I believe early 2020 March 2021 uh write in and correct me if I'm wrong uh he's got Rebecca in that time which has just finished shooting uh he's a really prolific guy works really really fast He's then going to go into shoot, I think, a six or eight part TV show. Oh, yes. Generation Z. Gen- Z. Z. Generation Z. That's right, Helen. Uh, so when's he going to find the time to to crowbar Tomb Raider 2 in? It's exciting. Um, I mean, Ben Wheatley, you've said it yourself. He works faster than anyone alive. Really. Oh, it's out. It's just out. He's just, <laughs> he's just finished it. We'll be reviewing it at the end of the show. It's really great, guys. Um, I, I do hope they call it Tomb Raider. Oh, no. With a W. No. If Listen, if Hollywood listens to me on anything, <laughs> this, cast more Jerry Butler. Because, of course, where did Jerry Butler get his big break? <gasps> In Tomb Raider. In Tomb Raider. <laughs> it all comes full circle. What? <laughs> the first one, the second one. You've turned, I don't remember, but Daniel Craig was the other one. Daniel Craig was the other one. I think it was the second one. I think one. it was the second one for Jerry. It was. So you get Danny C in the first one and Jerry B in the second one. Is that what we're calling them now? That's what we're calling them. Good Lord. It's exciting times. So there we go. Benny W working very, very hard on um, Tomb Raider. And speaking of things that people are working very hard on, the Amazon Lord of the Rings series oh, yeah. has added Will Poulter, formerly right. of this podcast, uh, to, like most people are formerly of this podcast, we've been going a while now. Um, oh. <laughs> that genuinely just happened. Are um, you calling him or is he calling He's him? calling me. Okay, you should pick it up. Hey, Ben. Ben Wheatley just called Chris. His ears were burning. I know, right? <laughs> All right, we're back now. That was, uh, I had to interrupt the podcast because that was, did you say that, who it was? It was I said yeah. Ben Wheatley literally yeah. just called Chris. So either he has cameras in the pod booth or <gasps> it's one of those things that Fred just called. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly that. Uh, I wonder if this is going to happen again. I'm going to stare at my phone now and see if Jerry Butler just calls. <laughs> Chris Evans. He doesn't have my number, but I don't know. <laughs> didn't do anything this week, but imagine if he did. <laughs> just staring at my phone now. No, nothing. No, nothing. 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 I could send you a text and it would come up with Chris. That's not as. That's like, not the same. No. Thanks. Though. Okay. I appreciate anyway, it. Will Poulter's Will in Poulter. the. Uh, I'm sure he'll call in a second. Will Poulter, but Will Poulter <laughs> is 
now part of the cast of the Lord of the Rings series, which we know is a prequel series. What do, what do we make of, of this? We don't know much. Yeah, we really don't. Um, he's great. I mean, we love him as an actor. I don't know anything about this show. I still have mixed, slightly mixed feelings on it. It's just such a broad... It, it could be almost mm. anything, mm. so it could be completely terrible or completely amazing, but yeah. it's hard to tell at this point. Because, I mean, they've got 3,000 years of history in Middle-earth to draw from, and so it's quite hard to know exactly where they're going to go. He could be elfish, though, I feel like. Will Poulter. He could do something kind of elfy. You think? Yeah, I don't know why I'm saying that, but I am. I wonder if we're going to be hobbits in this. Trixie Hobbitses. Trixie Hobbitses. Or maybe he'd be a human, who knows? They're going to throw tons and tons and tons of cash at that one. They've, they've mm. raided Smaug's hoard under the mountain and they've used that to fund the uh, the show. So early days yet, but Juan Antonio Bayona is directing the first uh, couple of episodes. I thought that may extend. I believe I read someone said it was the uh, the first few episodes, so maybe he's doing more than two. Uh, and Will Boulder is a good sign mm. for what may be to come. Another casting news this week. This mm-hmm. is really interesting. James Gunn's cast for the Suicide Squad yeah. is becoming more and more eclectic, weirder by the minute, and yet kind of more, I have to see this film now. Yeah, it's upsetting, isn't it? <laughs> Why is it upsetting? Of course, every day is Christmas Eve. It's not upsetting. I'm thrilled that I'm thrilled about this film, but I, I wasn't a big Suicide Squad fan, so I'm not, I'm not comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm not in my comfort, comfort zone when I say that this looks amazing. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it doesn't come naturally to me and I don't like it. Yes, this is true. But Jeremy, where did you stand on the first one? I tried not to stand anywhere near it, to be honest. <laughs> the weirdest, Downwind. The weirdest thing about it is that one of the producers of the film is now in the Trump administration. And so it's probably not the worst thing that he's responsible for anymore. But um, yeah, I, don't know. I, thought, I just think that's such an amazing premise for a film that, and the film did not necessarily deliver on the promise of that premise. Mm. Oh, good good wording. Yes, I yeah. like it. Uh, yes, so why we're talking about this is because the cast is swelling. So the cast already included Margot Robbie, good. Viola Davis, yep. Joel Kinnaman, Amazing. A good friend, well. uh, Jai Courtney. <laughs> Two people who you just love. Uh, I, I like Jai Courtney. I know you do. Oh, what have I ever said a bad word about Jai Courtney? Feel like you did it. The point. other fella, yes, and I, you know, I've got past my feelings. But I've worked, I've worked through them. He was very good in House of Cards, Joel Kinnaman. Well done, good on him. But J- Jai Courtney, no, come on. Hey, he was in Jack Reacher. Idris Elba is also in the cast. David Dastmalkian, Kurt from the Ant Man movies, is in the cast. Dania Melchior, Flula Borg, Nathan Fillion, Steve Agee or Agee, Steve Agee, 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 bloody hell. How do you know that? Are you just guessing? Somebody's no, got to be I, professional I, you know, around here. It's like a person who's been in things. A.G. Yeah, Steve A.G. Steve A.G. Okay. Taika Waititi, of course, was uh, recently announced as well as being uh, up for a role. And now this week he has added two Pete's. Peter Capaldi. Strong. And Pete Davidson. Potentially strong. Or possibly... In the right role. Peter Davison. And they've just <laughs> got <laughs> the... Two doctors! strong. <laughs> Oh my God. Can you imagine? That would be amazing. That should be your hard day's night. Yes, just cast it all with like different doctors. <laughs> yeah, it's Tom Baker is John. Peter, and actually Peter Capaldi would be John. Tom Baker is Ringo, I guess. Um, <laughs> Peter Davison would have to be Paul. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's the okay. type. Wait, hang on. I don't see a role for David Tennant. No, this is a problem. Well, we've got to go classic. We've got to go Why? classic who, don't we? Do we? we got to. we uh-huh. got to. 
So then you've got, you've, got, you've got either Colin Baker or Sylvester McCoy to play George. Right. We're not using any of the dead ones. Well, on account of them being dead, no. Fair point. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think there are rules against that. In yeah. fairness. We could Weekend at Bernie's CG. in. CG. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> no, I think you go for okay. Weekend at oh, Bernie's. God. But that I, would involve... I think Sylvester McCoy just for like more, the more accents, the mm-hmm. better. All right. And he can play the spoons. So he's probably quite yes. musical. Wait a second. We're ignoring Paul McGann. I'm pretty sure Paul McGann has played what, John Lennon. He counts as classic who in this scenario? Well, in terms of... Okay, the guy was never given a fair crack of the, of the whip. Or He's the done a lot of audiobooks. He's done a lot of audiobooks. Uh, he only had that one mm. TV movie. Yep. And never really got, you know, got into it after that. That's kind of when I stopped watching. I haven't really watched any of the most recent, you know, I haven't watched the Eccleston. The last 10, 20 years. But anyway, that, you know, this is, I'm talking about the Who that I grew up watching. And McGann never really got a, a crack of the whip. I'm pretty sure he's played John Lennon. So you guys talk while I Google it. Oh, this is so much fun, live Googling. But if I'm right, then he has to play John Lennon. Okay. Well, maybe you just cast only no. people who have played John Lennon before. It was Mark McGann. Ah. Oh, ah. Foolish boy. Yeah, not happy about that because it's the Lennon specs in with nail. Of course, he wears the Lennon is specs. It? Yeah, what are we talking about? Um, that was pretty much it, right? Peter Capaldi Peter is Capaldi. in the Suicide Squad along with Pete Davidson, but we think it might be Peter Davidson. It might be a typo. We're not entirely <laughs> sure. And this is this is interesting. Also, said Patrick, who writes for Empire and is a great podcaster as well, he speculated on Twitter because there's a shot this week of Capaldi. He's bald. He's shaved his head. For this, mm. that beautiful, beautiful hair no. is, has gone. And he is speculating that he might then be playing Grant Morrison, who is a great <laughs> comic book writer, had a run on Suicide Squad, uh-huh. and uh, occasionally appeared as a character, I, I believe. I have, you know, Seb knows this stuff way better than I have, so appeared as a character in this arc. And he said, wouldn't that just be the most James Gunn thing to do to write in Grant Morrison Whoa. into Suicide Squad? Okay, that, now you have my attention. Yeah. Fine, Suicide Squad. <laughs> Jesus. The Suicide Squad. I feel like Grant Morrison would be kind of pissed off that he didn't get cast as himself, though. <laughs> Actually, you know who the other bald DC character is, although he's never really been bald in any of the movies, is Alfred. Maybe Peter Capaldi's playing oh, yeah. Alfred, and it's the Suicide oh. Squad going up against oh. Alfred Pennyworth. Alfred oh. would take them all down. I, you just don't want to pick that fight. Would totally be there for that. Yes, I'm, I'm bang on for that. Any other bits of movie news? There's a Jack Ryan season two trailer. Yes, there is. I just mentioned it because Tom Krasinski and his beard are both back. Tom so. Krasinski? Tom, John Krasinski. He'll be calling Tom in a second. Tom Clancy. Oh, well, that, well, that would be John okay Clancy's today. Tom Krasinski <laughs> is back as Jeff Ryan. So this is exciting, isn't it? It Tom, is. Tom Krasinski. They went through like the machine <laughs> from the fly together. <laughs> oh my God. Golly, nice. that would be... Terrible. Yeah. Well, they would be terrible. They'd be fused together at a molecular level. One of them would take over the other one. They start spitting acid vomit at each other. I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> Pretty sure that's how it works. Science. But yes. So is that a good thing? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. The, the first series was not without its problems, but it was also super watchable. So um, yeah, I'll be here for the second. Okay. And one last thing before we get into the shameless plug section. Oh, we should say that Kit Harrington uh, has been added to the MCU. Uh, he's going to be mm. part of the cast of The Eternals. And lots of people were talking about who he might play. And it seems he's playing a character called the Black Knight. Now, if you know... <laughs> yeah, Is it just a scratch? My arms <laughs> off! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come I, back and I'll bite your legs off! 
All right, we'll call it a draw. Um, no, this is uh, this is a uh, a character who rides a winged steed, if I remember rightly, and has oh, so a has a magical sword, and yeah, he's basically that. But apparently, he may have um, repercussions on the rest of the MCU going Ooh, forward. So he may cool. he may show up in other stuff as well. But uh, I yeah. re- I finally read Neil Gaiman's Eternals run, and I'm now here very much for the film. I, I need to get into really Eternals. Exciting. Is it good? Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Okay, I will check it out. I haven't. Uh, I need to re-up my Marvel Unlimited subscription. Mm. And that's what I need to do. Uh, and one last thing I want to mention before we get into the shameless plug section is uh, trailer for Between Two Ferns, the movie, mm. came out this week. And I was a bit skeptical about how they would make a Between Two Ferns movie work. If you don't know what Between Two Ferns is, it is a comedy show on Funny or Die in which Sack Galifianakis, playing a version of himself, interviews major, major celebrities, mm. including at one point Barack Obama, yep. and basically just abuses them and gets their names wrong and tortures them. And it's very, very funny stuff. Uh, it's been intermittent, shall we say, over mm. the last few years. And now they've made a movie. So uh, Scott Aukerman, who is the host of Comedy Bang Bang and Are You Talking R.E.M. Re.Me. Wait a minute. Is this an episode of Are You Talking Are You Talking R.E.M. Re.Me Re.Me? Please no. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's not. Apparently it's not. We talked about this, Helen, it's always, and yes, but you just went, but no, you just went. I do go, but no, to you, you a lot. You know yeah, this. Yeah. This is not an improv class, Chris. It's, it's, it's against the ethos. Yeah, it's I know. Anyway, anyway, so Scott Ackerman's written and directed it, and it, it's meta, and they're taking Between Two Ferns on the road, because the trailer seems to indicate that during a taping of a Between Two Ferns episode, Sarah Galifianakis almost kills Matthew McConaughey, so they have to make up for it by delivering more episodes or something like that. Anyway, it looks pretty funny, so... That's out on Netflix on September 20th, which just happens to be my birthday. Don't know why I mentioned that. Anyway, if you want to send presents, <laughs> that'll be fun. Send presents. Um, and we should get on to the, the shameless plug section of the podcast, yes, which is... because the new mag is out. The new mag is out! Empire Magazine, look at it in all its glory. The new issue of Empire is now on sale and all good and evil news agents and digitally as well. And oh, it's just tremendous. And on the cover is a genuine as they say, world exclusive. They all wanted it, especially uh, the Irishman magazine, which really was <laughs> beaten out by us. Uh, but we got it. We got the world exclusive first look at Martin Scorsese's eagerly awaited film, The Irishman. And our very own Nick Dissemlian for It Is He traveled to New York for It Is That to talk to Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, who else? Bobby Cannavale, Oh, um, Ray Romano for It Is Lay. All sorts of people. Absolutely and outrageous. It's a, a tremendous piece. And that's not all. You no? may think that in itself is why I would shell out my hard earned on this magazine with this once world exclusive. Oh, it's amazing. There's other stuff. There's, uh, there's a lot of great there's stuff. Inside, as Chris Evans might say, there's a lot of great stuff inside the issue. Uh, we have a, an interview a rare interview with Chris Morris, the genius behind the day-to-day and Brass Eye and Four Lions, as he prepares to launch his second film as director, uh, which is The Day Shall Come. Yeah, so it shall. that's in there as well. We went to the set of Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep, which also appeared to be the set of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining because it was the Overlook Hotel. And so we tell the story of how that is sequel to not only the Stephen King novel, but also the Kubrick movie. It's very, very exciting. We have an exclusive interview with Aquafina. Uh, talking about the farewell, yeah, amazing. indeed. 
Uh, we talked to Brad Pitt and James Gray about Ad Astra, which isn't a car commercial, but instead a science fiction movie. I spoke to the legendary Spike Lee, who is this month's Empire 30 director. Uh, so I put your questions to him, the reader's questions to him, in the people first to Spike Lee. But I also spoke to Spike and members of his key cast and crew, including John Turturro, Ernest R. Dickerson, people like that, for a... Uh, comprehensive oral history of Do the Right Thing, which is, uh, well, in my opinion, the best thing in the issue. But anyway, that's uh, that's totally fine. Other people may think otherwise. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, speaking of the other best thing in the issue. Yeah. So, you know, this is a film called Avengers Endgame, right? I don't think we've ever mentioned it. I don't think we've mentioned it. It's a small film, independent film, bit of a sleeper hit. People seem to like it. became the biggest film of all time. So, in the review section of the magazine, as I say in this section... The biggest film of all time doesn't come along very often. It happens maybe once every 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. So when it does happen, you want to pull out all the stops. So most of the review section is dedicated to Avengers Endgame this month. We have exclusive interviews with Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely about Captain America. We have Alan Silvestri talking about how he put together the last score. Portals. Inclu- we should talk about the portal scene. Oh, that's a good idea. I'll write, write that, that down. down. Um, we also talked to, who else? Kevin Feige? Uh, Is he important? For the viewing guide. There's tons and tons and tons of stuff in there. Uh, uh, but there's other content as well. Just in case you don't, you're not entirely on board with the Avengers Endgame thing, but what? if you are, it's indispensable. It is a must-have thing. And uh, there's loads of other things in there, including... The Ranking, which is where we discuss and we, we list films empirically. And finally, we got around to doing the MCU. And I'm not kidding. It took four hours. And it took, there were six of us in one room. It took four hours to, to rank the MCU. And that will be going up. I realize that the, I may have been slightly tardy with getting some episodes of the ranking up recently. You mean the ones we recorded last summer that I mean, aren't just, up yet? Those I mean, ones? I mean, it's just, uh, I'm a busy Guy, Helen, I've got a lot of stuff on my plate. So, that will be going up. And it'll be going up very, very soon in two parts. So you don't have to set aside a big four-hour chunk of the day. Uh, Julia Stiles' Pint of Milk. We also spoke to David Michaud about his new film, The King. We spoke to Greta Gerwig about Little Women. We had the first look at Taika Waititi as Hitler in Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> what if he's playing Hitler in The Suicide Squad? Honestly, I wouldn't put it past James Gunn at all. But... Uh, That's it. That's it for the issue. It's a cracking issue. Genuinely one of the best issues we've done in a long, long time. Not to say the other ones were crap. No. They weren't. It's even better than those. But some of them, if I'm honest, we were phoning it in. This one, 97% commitment all the way. So this is really, really great stuff. That's less than Deadpool. (laughs) That's true. Um, So pick it up right now and all good and evil news agents and online as well if you want to read it digitally. But why would you? Just read it. Yeah. Listen to that. Ooh, that's amazing. Four. It's good stuff. And also, uh, while we're doing some shameless plugs, I should plug the Empire Podcast Tour as well, uh, which starts next week. (gasps) Oh, shit. We should probably get ready, shouldn't we? (laughs) You packed yet? (laughs) Luckily, most of the shows were going up and down in the same day. So we don't have to pack, but or prepare or do anything but uh, we start in London next week next Saturday at King's Place in London it's going to be a lot of fun we have uh, I believe I'm just about to confirm the second guest we have two cracking guests for that I'm not going to reveal who they are but that's kind of our thing we don't reveal who our guests are uh, just in case people drop out at the last minute which has been known to happen mm. 
Uh, but trust me, you want to go along to see next week's show at King's Place. It's part of the London Podcast Festival. Tickets are available. I think some tickets are still available at kingsplace.co.uk. And as ever, if you buy tickets for three or more podcasts at that festival, you get a 15% discount. kingsplace.co.uk. Very, very exciting. Then we're in Edinburgh on September 19th. Uh, as at the Cameo in Edinburgh as part of the Edinburgh International Magazine Festival. Uh, but it's open to people who are, you know, love podcasts and empire and film and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, it's going to be a great show as well. Tickets are available via Picture House. 26th, we're in York. That's sold out. Wait. That is sold out. So that's a city screen, but there might be returns. We're sold out as well in Liverpool, October the 3rd. Very, very excited about that. Liverpool came through. I knew, I knew Liverpool wouldn't <laughs> let me down, uh, as they have not been letting me down for the last two or three years. And then we are in Brighton on October 10th, and I'm going to have some cool guests for that one as well. And then we're in Belfast, so we are on October 17th at the Cinemagic Festival. So tickets are available via the Cinemagic website. Uh, and we're going to be at the Odeon in Belfast for that one as well. So, come along. exciting times. Yeah, come along. Is. Do come and see us. Uh, because if this tour is a success, we will be back next year for a bigger tour. Mm. And hopefully we'll be able to hit some of the towns and uh, cities of people. We're disappointed that we weren't visiting this time around. Wales, principally. Nashville. Uh, Bristol, Nashville. Dublin. Nashville, Germany. definitely. You know, some people keep, you know, people, people do get in touch and go, when are you coming to New York? When you come to Tokyo, that was a big one this Tokyo, week. Tokyo yeah. was a big one this week. It's like, I'd love to go to, I'd love to do a podcast in Tokyo. I'd love to do a podcast in New York. We'd be the only people there. <laughs> <laughs> right? I assume so. I mean, listen, if 300 listeners are listening to this in Tokyo and would love us to come out there, then let us know. Let us know. If the demand is there, we will supply. That's the Chris Hewitt promise. <laughs> <laughs> I feel fairly safe making this promise. <laughs> Nashville, hell's yes. I'd do a podcast in Nashville. God, it'd be amazing. It'd be incredible. I could, I could rustle up a half dozen people, you know. Half a dozen? dozen? It's amazing. We're already 2% of the way there. Oh, my God. All right. So the Empire Podcast Tour 2020 <laughs> coming to you from Tokyo, New York, and Nashville, and Wales. And Wales. Well, I have to say, Wales. Super definitely Wales. Uh, Wales, we're not happy about being missed off. But anyway, Helen, you got plugs. I do. No, I don't. This is all my own hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm appalled. No, my book came out this week. My second book. Yay. Yay. Uh, I haven't got my own copy yet, so I had to go upstairs to the office and, and steal this from James's desk. He has a copy. <laughs> I don't have a copy. But it's called The Ultimate Superhero Movie Guide, and it's a guide to superhero movies. Why'd they get you to write that? Honestly, I don't know, but I'm happy that they did because I got to watch a lot of superhero movies and call it work, um, which I don't think convinced just anybody. Just kids' movies for kids. Really. Oh, they're just awful, aren't they? Um, some of them are, actually, so I just rounded those <laughs> yeah, up in a, in a please don't watch this section. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's now out, and I have remembered the title for once, which is more than I did with my last book. In fairness, you just read it off the book. I did, yeah. yeah that's the true. Ultimate Superhero Movie Guide, I mean, the definitive handbook for comic book film fans, Helen O'Hara. Ultimate and definitive are obviously wrong, because I had to submit this before, for example, Spider-Man Far From Home came out. And also, they keep making these things. So, you know, I feel like it's already out of date. But I did my best, and I insisted that they wait until Endgame, and I refused, literally refused to hand in the copy until I'd seen Endgame and included that in the book. But at the rate they're coming out, you could be doing a sequel in like oh, five years. years. Yeah, if, if even that long. Absolutely. My old English teacher, mm-hmm. Mr. Neeson, mm-hmm. if you're listening, hello, hope you're still with us, uh, said that, a bit like Alan Partridge, you know, first sentence is so important. Oh, God. You've got to nail them in the first sentence. I don't think I did that. Right away, you got them by the Jaffas. Have I? Here's your, here's your introduction. <laughs> Our 
comic book superheroes a new mythology through which we examine or escape the modern world. Now, Helen, I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. That's not great. It's it's terrible. Does it get better? No. I'll it just doesn't say get it's all about that level. No, but this one's hardback and it's got a nice shiny cover, so you know you should buy it for that reason. Yes, and also you're supporting uh, you're you're supporting Helen. I mean, not really. Not really. I, okay. I, I don't get royalties. It was a fixed. Fee. Don't buy this book. Don't essentially, this book. is what we're saying. That's the conclusion we've drawn. <laughs> don't buy this book, Jeremy. You've anything to plug? Uh, my documentary, uh, Tommy Emmanuel: The Endless Road, is playing the Liverpool Film Festival next month. It's playing the Nashville Film Festival next month. Other screenings you can find on Google, possibly <laughs> in the coming weeks that may or may not get announced. It's a feature documentary about the world's greatest acoustic guitar player and how he went from being a child prodigy in the backwoods of rural Australia to being the world-renowned king of the acoustic guitar. Cool. Amazing. It's got a bunch of people you may have heard of in it, like uh, Eric Idle and Barry Gibb and Olivia Newton-John. I've heard of of all three of those people. We're doing well. Steve I, Joe Satriani, Jason Isbell, depending on your Taste and forms of reference. Um, I host a podcast that Chris has been on twice, but you should still listen to it. <laughs> it's called My Favourite Album. Um, each episode, someone comes on to talk about their favourite album, how it's influenced them. We recently did a movie month, which may be of more interest to people on this uh, of this parish. Chris and I did a sort of Christopher McQuarrie length um, <laughs> chat about the um, theme songs from the James Bond series. Oh, yes. Should we have some guests? Yeah, we probably should. We should have some guests. Now, this hasn't happened yet, so I hope it happens. But uh, Ian Freer should be on his way right now to interview three of the stars of Downton Abbey the movie. Should be happening in the next half hour or so. So if you hear something after this bit, then it's happened. And if you don't, then it'll be just me screaming for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And those three stars are Hugh Bonneville, Michelle Dockery, and Laura Carmichael, who, of course, as we all know, play the king, the the queen, and Lady... The Earl Jaffer of Grantham Paddington's and his dead. daughters, okay. Lady Mary and Lady Edith. How do you know this? Because I've seen two Christmas specials and the film of Downton. I once saw Hugh Bonifil in his boxer shorts. I don't know how to react to that. I Good. went to visit the set of a thriller called Knife Edge. I'm not uh, aware of it. Years and years and years ago, uh, directed by Anthony Hickox, who's the director of Waxwork, which is a cool little fun little horror film. Uh, also, Sunset. Uh, that's another little cool little horror film as well. Uh, went to see, went to visit the set of the movie. Uh, Hugh Bonneville was the third lead in the movie, I believe. And at the end of the day, he had time to speak to me for 15 minutes, but he was getting changed and went home and to go home. And so he was getting changed and I saw Hugh Bonneville in his pants. I didn't, however, see the whole Hugh Bonner Village, but no, I saw... stop. Okay. Hmm. I've danced at Downton Abbey. Really? Yeah, I went to... A friend got married at Highclere Castle. Hello, Dave and Joe. Um, so <laughs> I uh, went, went to their wedding and it was very, very nice. I recommend being an English aristocrat at the turn of the 19th, uh, 20th century. Was the music themed for the location, like the first dance? Was it period appropriate? <laughs> Uh, sadly, no, it was a modern wedding. And in fact, my friend kept telling me, oh, they've just shot this big new series, Don't Nabby here. And I was, I hadn't seen it, wasn't aware of it and was completely unimpressed. And then ever since I've been annoying my family every time it's on TV <laughs> by saying, that's Down Nabby. I've been there. That's the library. We had dinner in there. You know, it was, it's really fun for them, I think. I think they enjoy it. Jeremy, have you ever been to Down Nabby or seen Hugh Bonneville in his pants? Uh, no. 
I'm trying to think. I'm, <laughs> if I've seen Hugh Bonneville in his pants, you'd remember in that a film, but not that I recall, unless there was a cut scene from Paddington that I <laughs> that I missed. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, so here we go. This is in for having a nice chat with those three actors who played the characters aforementioned. Enjoy. <laughs> Laura Michelle Hugh, welcome to Empire Podcast. Thank you very much. It's been four years since the series ended. The film's out next week. Mm-hmm. Did you ever imagine this day this would ever happen? No. No. <laughs> Certainly not when we were doing the show. Yeah. I mean, towards the end there were rumours of, you know, possibly doing a film, but it's, mm-hmm. a, it's an amazing feeling for us all to suddenly be, you know, having a movie out. Yeah. You seem to be talking about it on chat shows forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's been a long time. In uh, the, gesta- the, the gestation period was quite was quite long, but uh, it was because well, two things I think you know, Julian trying to find you know just the right story to tell in a screen version, and secondly, herding the cats that are, are cast. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. a whopping great big cast. It would it just wouldn't have worked if only a couple of us had had uh, been available sure. or interested. And so we, it was a question of everyone really holding hands and jumping into the swimming pool together. It's interesting that when most British TV shows get made into movies, to make it feel cinematic, they send the cast on holiday. Mm. Yeah. You, you didn't go anywhere. It's a shame, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. We did a bit more Yorkshire than we normally do. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was fun. I think yeah, that was, a, that was a, a calculated choice, I think, because... I think you know because the the castle is such a central character. Yeah. Um, for us to have, uh, have, have have abandoned that and gone off, you know, to to the South Pacific or something mm. on holiday would have been very <laughs> peculiar. But having uh, having said that, I think now that this ground, you know, if if, if the film works. Uh, I think, uh, and if we were to do another one, then, then maybe we could go to the South Pacific. Yes, yeah. It's a really good yeah. idea. Oh, the Granthams yeah. go to the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. I just fancy the Crawley sisters in New York. Yeah, yeah. Jazz, New York. I know. We always want that. To yeah. That <laughs> like, can we go and see Shirley? Go McClain. and see Shirley and Paul <laughs> Giamatti. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But Julian did find a great way to make it cinematic in that the is the uh, the story is about the arrival of the king and queen mm-hmm. at Downton, which makes every little thing. Amps up the stakes, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. If a dress doesn't fit, mm-hmm. that becomes a big Disaster. thing. And the silverware. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. how, what what are the kind of the ramifications of that for the, for the characters? Well, really, it's what's what, the extra dynamic is, as you say, is, you know, for, for all the six series, apart from the visit to Buckingham Palace when Lady Rose was coming into society, um, the Granthams were the top of the tree. Now there's a new branch above them, but um, <laughs> yeah. suddenly we are uh, <laughs> yeah. having to bow and curtsy so that that's lovely that's a great dynamic for for us as the uh the upstairs characters if you like but the real engine of the show of course is is, is what happens to the uh the staff below stairs because uh, right. it's it's two tribes going to war mm. yes um, king queen bring their own staff mm. ah, right. so there's a butler off yeah mm, the butler off yeah. <laughs> 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 well, yeah the page of the back stairs oh yeah that's that his called, proper title yeah yeah and did it feel different making a film did it, did it feel from an acting point of view did it feel any different I mean, yes and no, really, I guess. The, the acting, you know, it remains the same with playing this familiar character, but you do have a bit more time, and, yeah, it felt that much more luxurious, yeah. really. And, you know, you want to create these shots and these images that are going to fill the, the screen at the cinema, and, and they really went for it. Yeah, it's quite a cinematic show anyway, isn't mm, it? Lots of, yeah. yeah. And then when you make a movie, is the catering any better? I don't know, was it, maybe it was a bit better. Maybe a little bit. No, no, no. exactly the same biscuits. No, not <laughs> Tea and biscuits at four. Instant coffee. 
Um, <laughs> it's devastating. Yeah. Well, there are very strict rules at High Clear that you can't uh, you can't take any any food and drink inside. Anything, not even mm. water. Oh right. Yeah. So you so, are yeah. you want a double decker bus or a tent? Or no, something. you're standing outside with a brolly most of the time. Yeah. Um, so uh, you no, sneak no, biscuits you into your yes, exactly. You into your jacket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The ca- we mustn't uh, we mustn't run down the catering. They, they, no, they, no, they no, were no, very fine feeding an army. It was very yes, yeah. yeah. And that's some sort of the interesting arcs of the characters. I think with Mary, she kind of questions what's happening to the value of downtown, yeah. isn't she? Tell, yeah. tell us about that. Well, she's, you know, she's taken on this role that she's, you know, she feels such a great responsibility to Downton and she wants to kind of fulfil that, which is sort of a big change in her as time's gone on because yeah. at first she really, she didn't want to be the lady of the house. Yeah. yeah, I think that there's always a bit of Mary that kind of wants to break free and, yeah. you know... But she can never really pull herself away, mm. I think, because she has such a love for the family and, you know, the people that work for the family. It's it's something that's very, you know, she cares so much about everyone. And and I've loved that development of her character because yeah. I never dreamed that she would end up the way she has, actually. Mm. I thought she would have ended up running off to London <laughs> and, you know, being the rebel. So yeah, it's it's really fun, you know. It's fun kind of playing her in a bit of a tears about this <laughs> this <laughs> arrival of the king yeah. and queen, um, and she just wants everything to be just so. And, yeah. and I think bringing Carson into it, you know, that was I love that moment, you yeah. know, when she brings back her hero. But it's just such. I mean, every single character in the film has such a brilliant story running throughout yeah. this main narrative, and. Um, well, I just found the whole thing joyous yeah. watching it. It's it's magic. But it's an extension of the show. We're not trying to do anything, you know, like you say, if we'd have taken it, taken the family away, mm. it becomes a film, you know, it becomes something that it yeah. that it wasn't. And I and I think it's it's like seeing a very, very big Christmas special on a big screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and every every character gets a moment in the sun, which, yeah. which yeah. most films have a few characters so you can easily delve mm. into them, but this has a huge cast. Yeah. It? It's Julian's yeah. gift, really, and his talent is keeping all of the plates spinning, as he says. But, um, yeah, it's incredible. Um, the show is so huge. Do you ever meet hardcore Downton fans? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So tell me about <laughs> who's the most hardcore Downton fan you've met. We tend to, I mean, I feel like you always meet fans when you're doing a, if you're doing a play mm. that gives somebody the opportunity to actually come meet you at stage door. So I met some really, really hardcore Downton fans when I was mm. doing network in London. And, you know, people are very, they're quite emotional about Downton mm. when you meet them. Like right. often people say, or we get, you know, incredible letters from people telling us that they watch Downton through perhaps a difficult time in their life or a fam, you know a family member's life and it's it, there's something very emotional isn't it yeah, that, that people are, are really you know they really took it to their hearts but and i in the film really is for the fans i mean yeah. i mean anyone could see it and follow it but it's i think the fans will be so happy with it mm-hmm. Laura, you've got a particular fan encounter oh oh yeah do you mean lorraine mm. yes my i lovely lorraine does uh, dress up as lady edith at events so okay. one memorable time, she came wearing my wedding dress that she had made. Um, and Hugh spotted her from the stage and uh, was giving me the wink. But she's so sweet. She's absolutely gorgeous. And, um, was it a good effort at your wedding dress? Was it, a good it was one? very, very professional. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't believe it. She, yeah, I think she made it out of a silk sheet, but it was incredible. And there's also a fan who is a huge admirer of Mrs. Hughes, the housekeeper, mm. yeah. and uh, who has had 
Mrs Hughes's keys tattooed onto her hip. Oh, my God. How exciting is that? I didn't know that. Isn't that cool? That's, That's amazing. So cool. New yeah. York in New, somewhere in New yeah. York, yeah. <laughs> it seems devotion. Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's not. It should be a convention, Downton Con or something. I know. Some we've always wanted yeah, to happen. We always do that. We yeah. haven't got around to it. If anyone's Downton Con, it knows how Downton to do Con. it. Um, yeah, yeah, we'd love to. And Michelle, what, what is Little Lady Mary? <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> oh my God! This was such a long time ago. When I was a kid, I loved the Sylvanian families. You know, the little yeah. woodland creatures, and um, I kept. <laughs> I kept this little grey bunny for years. It was just like one of the ones that I kept hold of, but just had lost it. And I don't know where I found it, but I ended up taking it with me on a tour, a press tour. And I don't know, it just became this thing about this little bunny being little Lady Mary. But it's not, that was like one time that I did that. My niece has now got that bunny. I I mean, I don't even know where it is. But um, it was just for a small amount of time. But what's so funny is that there's, it's written down somewhere that I take it everywhere with me, which is not true. I, I, I think there's an IMDb. I think there's an IMDb. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no, that's not. But, wouldn't it be but, funny if I just pulled it out premiere. now? She should come to the premiere, yeah. With a big gown yes. on. Yes, it would be brilliant. We've got so to there, find were loads of, there, was, there were a whole load of photos of little Mary in interesting yeah, situations. Yeah, I think it was oh, when, cool. when Instagram, when I first started Instagram, which was about, I mean, I guess about six yeah. years ago now, yeah, I did like a whole little journey of little Lady Mary. <laughs> Maybe I should. She should make a comeback. Really, it's not yeah. fair. We're doing a film, and she's not making an appearance. <laughs> I should bring her on the red carpet. <laughs> and where, where are the far flung places that the show is huge? Ooh. I mean, so I mean, so it's many big places. in China. It's like it's really gone. Yeah, we've had it from China. You know, South America, Australia. Uh, yeah. I was in fact I was back in. Um, Bampton recently, where which you know plays the role of the village itself, and um, in the what it, what in the in the show is the cottage hospital. It's their it's their local library, and and it's sort of visitor centre, yeah. which has been slightly overwhelmed since the the show you know now attracts the coach loads. But anyway, in there they have a map on the wall of the world, and people stick a pin of where they've come from. And I was wow. so I was looking at that, and it was and this was just last year's map, and it was absolutely heaving, you know, yes. and there were pockets from. You know, Australia, South America, China, um, Europe, and a huge chunk from America, you know, yeah. from North America. Um, so it literally is just sort of all over the world. So presumably there are, there are actors who dub you. There's a, there's yeah. a, Chin- a Chinese Lady Mary, mm-hmm. and a Chinese. Mm. The Spanish one, we saw a clip of yes. the Spanish one. I'm, face, very, I'm very happy about that. I've had yeah. some very butch and swashbuckling <laughs> in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and to wrap up, can I take you back to the beginning? What are your memories of your auditions, Laura? Oh what do you remember about getting the role? Oh, my God. I mean, I was terrified and amazed that I was being seen for it. I thought I was going to come in and have a line, you know, to audition for. And so when I was handed five scenes, I realised this is a proper part. Right. And then I was told Hugh Bonneville was in it, and <laughs> okay. Michael Smith, and uh, <laughs> I nearly died. Um, and yeah, I just remember being really emotional about it and probably a bit overwhelmed. And But through all of that, they um, managed to see something in me. So I was just delighted. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, sure, did you, when you did it, did you feel confident that you've nailed it? Did I you th- feel... Do you know, there's some parts that come along and you really feel yeah. like this is mine, like I have to get this. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that, you know, sends you into a bit of turmoil because you're like, if I don't get it, I'm going to be so devastated. Mm-hmm. But I remember I, I remember going in and there was, you know, very, it was our director, producer. Julian wasn't there, but it felt like there were so many people in yeah. the room. Mm-hmm. And it was a very important moment in my life you know and I did the audition and it, I think it went well and then I walked out and in the waiting area was Dan Stevens 
Right. And he was going in to read for Matthew. And we just worked together on something. And I, we had a hug. And as I walked out, I thought, oh, that could work. <laughs> That's amazing. And then, of course, he got the part <laughs> two. And it was, yeah, that? and I never forget it. I remember exactly where he was sitting. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then he left the show. <laughs> <laughs> he left me. My, my, my family were devastated when that happened. Oh, yeah, so were we. Was, uh, uh, yeah. Hugh, what are your memories of... of well, uh, I, w- I was uh, in a very privileged position in that uh, I'd been working... I'd done a film of Julian's about a year before and during the break in filming one day, I said, what have you, you know, what are you writing next? And he said, I've got two or three projects on the go. In fact, there's... And he started describing Downton Abbey. I said, oh, that sounds really, really interesting. Um you know, can I have a look at it when it's ready? He said, oh, yes, there's a part I, I think you could probably play. Anyway, it arrived 10 months later, and I was in the very rare position of having just been offered something else. And uh, so I was able to say to uh, the producers, you know, if we're actually, I've been offered something else. So, I, mean, I know you're only sending it to me out of interest, but, you know, if you want to make a counteroffer, uh, <laughs> then uh, uh, I would, I would uh, drop the other one. Uh, and that's what happened. So, and I said, incidentally, who have you got? Who are you looking at to, to play you know, the other parts? And he said, well, we haven't cast anybody yet, but we, uh, we're going to approach Maggie Smith uh, to play Violet. And I said, well, good luck with that. That's not going to yeah. happen. <laughs> the rest is history. Well, I guess in, in film, you've played Elizabeth McGovern's husband a few times. This is the third time. The third time, yeah. lucky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. first time was a, t- a tiny little project, and then uh, we did a, um, a short-lived, uh, but I think rather brilliant sitcom called uh, Freezing, um, in which she played herself, which was hilarious, <laughs> and I basically played Simon Curtis, uh, her husband. Um, and, uh, and then Downton, yeah. Uh, and in, in fact, in Freezing, in the third episode of Freezing, uh, her agent played by Tom Hollander, calls her up and says, I've got a small part for you on offer. It's in a Julian Fellows country house thing. Brilliant. You're playing a maid. And um, and she and she she plays a maid to Alex Kingston's Gosh, uh, sort of lady of the manor. Amazing. <laughs> Guys, that's great stuff. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, so that was Hugh Bonifil, Laura Carmichael and Michelle Dockery uh, talking to Ian Freer and we'll be reviewing Downton Abbey on the live show next week at King's Place and if you want to come and see me display my knowledge of Downton Abbey, <laughs> that's a ticket seller, isn't it, in itself? Oh boy, yes. And James really actually genuinely loves Je- Downton James Abbey. loves it. Like, he's yeah. properly into that shit. So. And Terry's really into it as well, I believe. Really? Mm-hmm. Is it like class porn for her or I something? Have... What, what's going on? <laughs> I genuinely I don't... don't know why that is. Wow. But it'll be fun finding out. Okay. Should we talk about films? Sure. Uh, there's one big film that's out this week. Um, oh, what's it called? Uh, what is it called? What is it? It is It Chapter 2. It is a sequel, of course, to It. Was it called It Chapter 1 or was it just called It? I think it was just It. Well, that's inconsistent. Mm. Uh, so it's a sequel, of course, to It. It is the second part of this two-film saga, the adaptation of uh, Stephen King's epic although not as epic as The Stand. No. Uh, <laughs> epic tome, as they say. So uh, in which uh, 27 years after the events of the, the last movie, the Losers Club reunite in Derry, Maine to tackle the evil Pennywise the Clown, played once again by Bill Skarsgård. Mm. Uh, he's played once again, of course, by Bill Skarsgård, but the Losers Club are all growing up and they're played by different people, including James McAvoy, Jessica Chastain, Bill Hader, James Ransom. Oh, what's their names? Isaiah Mustafa. Isaiah Mustafa. And um, the other fellow, Jay Ryan, that's his other name. Um, that's his other name? That's his name. Uh, so they're all back, uh, the same team behind the camera, Andy Muschietti directs, Barbara Muschietti produces, Gary Doberman writes. What do we make of this one? Jeremy, you haven't seen it yet, have you? But what do you think? Uh, I, th- I was quite disturbed. I thought it was surprisingly incel-friendly. <laughs> 
and I'm I'm just worried about the effect it's going to have on society. To be honest. <laughs> wow. Is it possible you've been confusing it with another clown movie? <laughs> I don't think so. Surely there can't be two movies about murderous clowns coming out within a month of each other. Yeah, you're right. Still the idea yeah. of me. I apologise. What do you think of uh, Whacking Phoenix as Bill Skarsgård? I thought he was pretty damn good. Uh, Helen, you have seen this film. I have seen this film, yes. Um, I, I really liked I really liked the first one. Although like is a strong word for something that makes me wibble in terror um, because I'm, I'm a massive horror wimp, as I've kind of discussed in the past. Mm-hmm. So... The, the news that this film is nearly three hours long was worrisome to me because I was genuinely not sure I could stand it for that long. Not long enough. Um, but yeah, it's really well paced, actually. It, I was never bored for more than maybe 10 seconds at a time. There was always something interesting going on. And I'm not talking about necessarily big scares or big action beats, but just the characters are really well drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, the acting is obviously very good. And, and so that just keeps you keeps your attention, keeps you interested the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Um and then it is also completely freaking terrifying because Pennywise is just one of the most horrifying villains that there is. And this does not hold back as well. I mean, there's a bit that I think people have seen in the trailer in the House of Mirrors with... Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Right, and that goes to places that you don't necessarily think it's going to go to. So, mm-hmm. you know, it does not pull back. It even starts with, you know, it's this idea that that it has contaminated the whole town of Derry, that everyone in Derry is is infected with this kind of evil and it starts therefore with a really brutal and really quite upsetting attack on two completely innocent people and so from that moment on you're just you're just in it and you're just kind of disturbed by it and freaked out and yeah not enjoying yourself in 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 an enjoyable way obviously Mm. it's a it's a bonkers film Mm. it doesn't hold back it really really goes for it because i mean the book also goes completely that's what i love about it towards the end uh, because I liked the first movie. I thought it was very, very good, very, very solid. And I really like this one because it leans into the, the, the... I mean, King wrote this at a period in his life when I think, you know, there were interesting influences on him, shall we mm. say. And there are some absolutely left field, just the most gonzo sequences of King's career. Some of them are in this book. And most of them make it onto the screen yeah. in this adaptation. Which I loved, you know, as a big King fan, I, I I thought that was was terrific. And you're absolutely right. The fact that it's two hours forty five minutes, I thought the first hour in particular was absolutely terrific mm-hmm. because it is about character and it's about getting the, this group of of losers back together again. And the performances are great, and they're so nailed on. We actually had some questions about this from people who've either seen the movie or seen the trailer. Is this the best example of? Older casting. Like old to young take, casting, yeah. Old, yeah. Young to old casting. Because they're so, so spot on. Space Cowboys them, was always quite good at that. That was pretty good, wasn't right? it? That was pretty good. Weird Toby Stevens as Tommy Lee Jones. I don't know how it worked, but it kind of weirdly did. Yeah. yeah. Didn't they use the voices, though? Didn't they have the older guys oh, maybe so. dub their voices? So that helped as well. Mm. Uh, but here... They, but here, yeah, they're yeah, phenomenal. It's, it's, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Really, really great casting. But the performances are fantastic. Uh, McAvoy and Chastain, Bill Hader for me is the standout yeah, of the movie. Great. But James Ransom as well, who yep. is uh, Siggy in The Wire. And it, it, it's one of those weird examples of an actor I've always had a slight antipathy towards because he was so damn good as Siggy, an utterly loathsome character in The Wire. That <laughs> since then, I've always had a bit of a problem with him whenever I've seen him in, in a film or a TV show. That's entirely on me. Uh, but that is, a, that, is, that is a big thing. 
in this movie he's absolutely terrific so all is forgiven he's a great great actor and mm. uh, it's a, you know, it's it has flaws I would say yeah. it does have flaws it could, maybe gets a little bit repetitious and there's an element of um, Trustane's character's backstory Bev's backstory that doesn't get picked up again and it feels like it should when you when you learn this thing you feel that it's going to yeah exactly yeah. you feel like it's going to be important and, and it doesn't really yeah. come back but these are fairly yeah. small nits I feel like small and, and even with the, the long running time the 2 hour 45 mm-hmm. minute running time some of the characterizations and some of the developments that happen feel a little rushed and honestly I could have watched another 15-20 minutes of this um, but it's really, really well made. It's really, really scary as well. Fantastic performances all the way through and is a worthy sequel to the first movie. Is it better than the first movie? I'm not entirely sure, but I know that we gave it five stars. And it, it that five stars feels earned to me because it feels like an event. I was trying to rack my brains about the last time again. We, loads of horror films come out, the, the elevated horror genre of the last few years, and the likes of The Witch and It Follows and even Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. But they're niche films for niche audience. Mm. Then you have the, the James Wan movies, you have the likes of The Conjuring and the Insidious films, which are more commercially minded and more successful. But this film feels like an event and it feels like it was it had to pay off something and there was a great deal of expectation around this film and uh, a great deal writing on it. And for me, this by and large delivers on that mm. and is an event film in the horror genre. I really can't remember the last time we had something like this. Yeah, It's going to be huge. Us, maybe. Yeah, maybe so, yeah. Maybe us. And us obviously did really, really, really well. Yeah. at the box office uh, but if this being a sequel I don't know maybe it feels slightly different so uh, yeah I think it's terrific and uh, and five stars mm. we gave it five stars amazing five stars for Pennywise and It how exciting there's another film out this week uh, which we gave four stars to it is a French movie The Shiny Shrimps uh, which is about a French swimming champion who uh, makes a homophobic remark on TV and uh, to make amends he is forced to coach the Shiny Shrimps, which is an amateur gay water polo team. And this is, as Ian Fear says, a warm, inclusive hug of a movie that wins you over with infectious exuberance and huge heart. It sounds really, really funny. And uh, four stars then for the Shiny Shrimps. And we also get four stars this week to Rojo, the uh, Argentinian drama from the director Benjamin Neistat. And this stars Dario Grandinetti as a high-flying lawyer who... Hmm, I have to tiptoe around this a little bit, but commits a crime, shall we say. Uh, and this is in the Argentina of the 1970s when it was on its way to being established as a military junta and people were being disappeared. Uh, and it's a movie about guilt and loss and repression and uh, a, a repression of guilt. And it involves a Colombo-esque detective that I liked quite a lot as well. Uh, I thought this was really, really well directed, really well acted as well. The imagery was lovely, uh, really well put together. Uh, it, it's... Very, very spare, very, very sparse drama. Not a thriller, I would say. Definitely a drama, but well worth your time if you can find it. Because I don't think it's in many cinemas around the country this week. Uh, so do check it out. Or Rojo, but also the film of the week then would be It Chapter 2. All right. That is it for this week's Empire Podcast, which is the last in-studio Empire Podcast for a while. Because as we said, we're going on the road. All very, very exciting. So next week's show won't be out on Friday because we're recording it on Saturday. It will be out on Sunday, the 15th of September. We'll get it turned around for then, and we will be joined by, not telling, but <laughs> good people. Good people, very fine people on both sides. Do check, <laughs> do come and get tickets and come and see us. And then after that, 
the podcast will refer back to its normal schedule. Every live show after that is on a Thursday night, so we'll be having the podcast will be out on Fridays. All right. So Bye. that's it. That is it. Until then, until a auspicious occasion, until we meet again, it is time to say goodbye to Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. It's exciting, isn't it? It is exciting. It is exciting. I'm excited. Terrified. Terrified. But exciting. And it's time to say goodbye to Jeremy Dillon. Cheers, Gav. Thanks for having me on. Oh, what an amazing Australian accent. It's so, <laughs> <laughs> so realistic. Uh, where can people find you, Jeremy? Uh, I'm at Mr. Jeremy Dillon on the social media platforms. Um, you know, jeremydillon.net's my website. Mm-hmm. You know, Google me, Google mm-hmm. my podcast, my favorite album, my film, Tommy Emmanuel, The Endless Road, is probably playing somewhere vaguely near you in the next six months. Uh, all right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Welcome anytime. Cheers, yes. mate. And uh, I need to get the number for your tailor. Paul Smith shop. I'm, I can't afford that. Do Debenhams do shoes like that? Oh, I can just find you some other bloke named Paul Smith and <laughs> give him 50 yeah. quid to make a suit. Absolutely. Uh, right. That is it. It's goodbye from Helen. It's goodbye from Jeremy. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to try and convince Renner to put his app back up because I want to see what that was about. It sounded completely <laughs> and utterly bonkers. A Jeremy Renner app. I could do a Jeremy Dillon app. You should. You should. There's totally a gap do in that. the market now for, for Jeremy, for Jeremy apps. apps. Yeah. It's like gap of two peas. <laughs> yeah. That's the wordplay you can expect. See you next week. We're going to be live. Oh, Christ. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.